a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies, they're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are off and running. I'm so glad you could join me today. In fact, can I take just a minute? I'm sorry. I'm going to gush here for just a second here, but uh, I have to tell you that uh, I hope it comes through loud and clear how much I enjoy, no, I love what I do. I feel like in some way... And I don't mean to get too metaphysical here. I feel like I have, I, I've been able to line up my life path with what the universe would want me to do. And that doesn't mean I'm saying I'm perfect. I don't walk on water or anything like that. But I find such satisfaction in what I am able to do on a day-to-day basis. Um, I just, I feel like, uh, I feel like there's an alignment of purpose. I found my path. And for a guy who was content to be carried along by the current for a long time, that's a pretty big accomplishment. So thank you for being a part of that, uh, that path. And, and I'm just, I marvel. I sit back and I marvel from time to time at the incredible individuals that, uh, that fate or the universe or God brings into my life, the, the, the paths that intersect with my own at, uh, at just the right time. I mean, the timing is, is always just flawless. And it, uh, it's just, it's enriched my life. I hope that I'm bringing similar value to you with what I'm doing. So here's what's on tap today. This is, this is going to be kind of a strange one, but I am, I am looking forward to some of the topics we're going to be talking about in this hour of the show. For instance, we're going to talk a little bit about personal responsibility. And I'm talking about this from the context of the most unhappy people that I know off the top of my head, are the ones who just need to control other people. Most likely they're going to use politics or, or, or the political system or government or somehow the state is the mechanism by which they want to control people, but the ones who just need to control others, whether it's telling you, pull up your mask or whatever it is, they seem to be among the unhappiest that I've ever seen. Well, Kent McManigal has a great article about to why taking personal responsibility is really the best way to find greater peace within and without. We'll also talk a little bit about the uh, current cultural purge that's going on. Obviously, uh, no Confederate flags, no Confederate statues, no Confederate uh, generals' names. Yes, those are all being eliminated by the woke among us. But Pat Buchanan has a very timely warning of which historical figures are next in line for being erased. And, ooh, Abraham Lincoln, look out. You made the list, my friend. By the way, on a, there's another milepost on our journey to Wokesville, and that is uh, now the New England Journal of Medicine is apparently advocating for doing away with the designation of male or female on birth certificates. Ah, uh, yeah, <clears throat> that was my reaction too. Kind of serious. If your eyes didn't roll a little bit or you didn't stop and raise an eyebrow, what? Yeah. It just uh, seems like if you're, if you're looking to create exciting new ways for government to insert itself into your life, nothing can beat politicizing medicine. And finally, I will be sharing in this hour a topic I never dreamed that I would be sharing with my listeners. We're going to talk about the fine art of bribery. 
Daisy Luther, who blogs under the Organic Prepper name, has a very eye-opening essay that clues us in on the finer points of how to grease the right palms should it ever become necessary. I know, like me, you probably said, I would never resort to bribery. After reading her article, I realized, actually, I might. (laughs) In some cases, it might be the difference between survival or not. All right, let's go back to responsibility. This this was such a great article. Kent McManigal has a gift for being able to just cut to the chase and tell you, uh, you know, this is this is what really matters. And he starts by dropping a truth bomb. Like it or not, everyone has the responsibility to make their own decisions. If they decide to wear a mask because they believe it will keep them or others safe, they're free to do so. They're violating their responsibility, though, when they threaten to use government violence to force others to wear a mask. He says people have the responsibility to run their business without intentionally causing harm. Customers have the responsibility to choose which businesses to use. Anyone who dictates how other people's businesses must be run is violating their responsibility to not harm others. Now, he points out something here that I think most people would agree with, and that is, responsibility is hard. In fact, it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. They'll listen to and obey politicians instead of doing what's responsible and right. But he says you are responsible for your body, your actions, and your property. Your main responsibility is to not violate the life, liberty, or property of any other person. And he says responsibility can be scary. It seems most people would rather shift their responsibility to government, and government would be happy to take it. Except you can't give your responsibilities to others. You can only pretend to do so. Reason is because you're still responsible for anything done on your behalf. Now, Kent McManigal says responsibility is power. You can decide whether to use this power or ignore it, but loaning your power to others isn't wise. When your power is used by others to harm people, the responsibility is still yours. Letting government borrow your responsibility is like loaning a gun to someone who has a history of robbing banks and admits he plans to do so again. It's unethical and irresponsible to loan your power to any such person or group of people. Now, here's an interesting thought, too. If you abdicate your responsibility anyway, government will claim it. Then it will pervert it. Government will misuse your responsibility, your power, to violate the rights of others. When you consent to what's being done, the responsibility is on your shoulders. So stop consenting for your power to be used against others in harmful ways. Take back your responsibility, he says, and hang on to it like the treasure that it is. Realistically, it isn't safe to take your power back from those who want it. They'll threaten and punish you. Your neighbors will probably stand against you. The brainwashing is strong, and after 12 or more years of indoctrination in government schools or government-friendly schools, most people simply can't overcome it. But Ken McManigal says, do it anyway. It's the right thing. This made me think of an example of how people outsource responsibility in the name of, well, it's just easier to have government do it because government can bring force into the situation. And I think about the people who, I don't know, you have a neighbor whose yard is becoming unkempt. The weeds are growing too fast or they have a junky car sitting in the driveway. I don't know, whatever it may be. 
this is where a lot of people have chosen to outsource their responsibility to be a good neighbor and instead handed it over to their municipal governments or perhaps their county government. And and, and they do it in the form of code enforcement. See, it's it's a lot easier to just drop an anonymous uh, tip to the uh, code enforcement hotline or just the Department of Code Enforcement. Yes, my neighbor's yard is becoming an eyesore. He has weeds growing on his property or he has a car sitting in his yard that hasn't moved in five years. And because government is more than happy to assume that responsibility, as Kent points out, it will come and it will start to threaten your neighbor. And it'll do it nicely at first. It'll receive. They'll receive a. I'm trying to think what they call it. Uh, uh, a courtesy notice. Oh, this is so Orwellian because that courtesy notice includes a very direct threat. Fix the problem or start facing criminal penalties. They'll start with fines, of course. You know, you either fix the problem or we're going to start fining you money. We're going to claim money from you if you don't do it. Sometimes they'll threaten it and, and up the ante and put a little more leverage. We'll come fix the problem. We'll haul away the car. We'll come clear away the weeds, but charge you this exorbitant inflated rate for doing so. And, of course, if you don't comply, eventually, you know, you don't pay the fine, we will send men with guns and badges, enforcers of, uh, you know, the, the, the state's laws to come and force you to pony up or take you away and put you in jail. Now, let me just offer an alternative here. This is, I mean, in an alternate universe, this is another way that the thing could be handled. You, taking responsibility, could get off your keister, walk yourself over to your neighbor, and actually talk to them. In fact, instead of going over there with, you know, with this uh, accusation of, hey, your lawn sucks and it makes my house less valuable and you need to do something, what if you were to go over and ask them, hey, is everything okay? I noticed that uh, your yard's starting to get away from you. Is there a way that I could help? I know. That's, that's well, well, it's not my responsibility. And yet it is. I mean, if you want to be a good neighbor, actually, it is your responsibility to see if you can solve the problem at the lowest possible level and without invoking coercion. I don't know. I'm just suggesting you, you might come off of this as a better neighbor. You might be friends. You might have a chance to serve somebody else. And you might just solve the problem rather than making it worse. It's just a thought. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I do want to mention that our program is brought to you in part by Alta Bank. And if you go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com, you will find a very convenient link at the bottom of those show notes for today, the 18th of December, in this, the year 2020, (laughs) which we will never forget. But uh, it'll put you in touch with my friend John Staples, who is a mortgage lender with Alta Bank. Please contact John. Tell him, hey, I heard your message. And hopefully, you know, if you're looking for a home refinance or looking for a new home loan, John's the guy you'll go to. This is particularly of interest to my listeners in the state of Utah. If you don't live in Utah, um, quit your job, move here, and John will help you get settled. Sorry, that's the best solution I could come up with in a moment's notice. 
Well, um, it wasn't uh, just a few days ago that uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo eliminated unkindness and hatred from New York State. I know, it's, it seems like a tall order for a guy who, you know, has really struggled to even, you know, keep a grip on the whole COVID-19 reality, but he did it. And all it took was, you know, eliminating free speech. He banned the sale of Confederate flags in the state of New York. Now, look, I understand for some people, yeah, that's a symbol that's triggering to them. I, I get it. And at the same time, I think that triggering is a choice. You know, there are things that I may not want to see, but uh, I, I hardly feel like it's my prerogative to go around and say, you know, we ought to make that illegal and, and punish people who, who would, would claim it as their own or who would, would just simply have it. I'm just not that desperate to control other people. If I see something that isn't pleasing to my sight, I can turn my gaze elsewhere. I can, you know, I can ignore it. Why would I give power to somebody else's symbol? But hey, you know, I'm a live and let live kind of guy. And apparently that's kind of a dying mentality. Well, Pat Buchanan warns, you know, okay, we've seen this going on for a while. We've seen, you know, the purge of all emblems of the Confederacy. You know, we've got to get rid of everything that, that even invokes that, uh, that there was once a Confederacy. By the way, another good example of this, uh, Dixie State University in southern Utah. Apparently their board of trustees met uh, earlier this week and decided, hey, why don't we get rid of the name Dixie? You want to talk about people coming together to, to, to solve a problem that didn't even need to be solved. In fact, it's a solution looking for a problem, but uh, that's what they're going to do. And I know that for some people it's good. For the woke, this is, this is evidence that yes, yes, finally social justice is, is being done. Okay, I don't know that it's fixing any real problems, but it's certainly kowtowing to the demands of the cultural Marxist and the woke among us. And I guess for them, that's got to feel pretty good. Yay, we got them to do what we want. But here's a warning for everybody else who has still maintained a grip on their sanity. The purge is far from over. And some of the figures you may hold in reverence, you know, from America's history are up on the chopping block next. It's not going to stop with the Confederacy. This is about enforcing a particular uniformity of worldview on everybody and dissent will not be allowed. And I think that the, the, most, the most damning thing about this is it doesn't fix a problem. All it does is impose a new, ever-shrinking list of things that you're allowed to think or not and takes everything else away. Pat Buchanan says, you know, that first they came for the Confederates, but he also warns there are others that are being targeted next. First, it was, he says, uh, Jefferson Davis Highway in Arlington, named for the president of the Confederacy, has been rechristened Richmond Highway. An Arlington group is calling for the removal of Robert E. Lee's name from Lee Highway to be replaced by the Mildred and Richard Loving Avenue. If you remember that uh, case, that was the, the Lovings were an interracial couple who challenged and helped overturn uh, Virginia's anti-miscegenation law in the Warren Court. Now, this month, the statue of General Thomas J. Stonewall Jackson was removed from the campus of Virginia Military Institute, where Jackson taught before leading Confederate troops at the First Battle of Bull Run. Jackson would die of friendly fire after his victory at Chancellorville in 1863. Had he been with Lee at Gettysburg two months later, that most decisive battle of the Civil War might have had a different outcome. 
But he says the cultural Marxist revolution has moved far beyond Davis, Lee, and Jackson. Out West, it's Abraham Lincoln's turn. A renaming committee of the San Francisco School District wants the great emancipator's name removed from Lincoln High School for crimes against Native Americans. Just in case you remember, or don't remember, rather, the 16th president ordered the Navajo tribe off their Arizona lands into New Mexico, resulting in a forced march of 450 miles. He approved the hanging of 38 Dakota Indians who fought in the Dakota War in Minnesota in 1862. By the way, that was the largest mass execution in U.S. history, not counting Waco. Lincoln's Homestead and Pacific Railway Acts led to the loss of large swaths of tribal lands, but other names to be removed from San Francisco schools include those of George Washington, Herbert Hoover, and Senator Dianne Feinstein. Apparently, they eat their own. In 1984, Mayor Feinstein allowed a Confederate battle flag to be flown at City Hall. Now, Pat Buchanan says, as one looks down the list of greats whose statues are to be pulled down and the names removed from public buildings, there seems to be a single great common sin for which none can be forgiven. The unpardonable heresy? Well, Columbus, Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Jackson, Polk, Lee, Teddy Roosevelt, Wilson, and Lincoln disbelieved in the equality of all races, peoples, cultures, and civilizations. And these men lived and acted in conformity with this disbelief. Lincoln detested slavery, but he did not believe in social and political equality between the races. As he conceded to Stephen Douglas in one of their 1858 debates, we cannot then make them equal. Still, between 1789 and 1960, a republic led by those men who preached but did not practice equality built the greatest nation in history. Ever virtuous in war with the mightiest manufacturing base and the highest standard of living on earth, America was, by the day of JFK, the envy of mankind. Yet since Jamestown in 1607, we have been governed by men who disbelieved in equality and disregarded the suggestion that all men are created equal. Buchanan writes that proposition first appeared in a Declaration of Independence written by a member of Virginia's landed aristocracy who owned scores of slaves and described the Indians against whom we fought as merciless savages in that same document signed on July 4, 1776. Now, for Lee, the dishonors do not stop. A Virginia History Commission just voted to replace the general statue in the U.S. Capitol with a statue of Barbara Rose Johns, a teenager who in 1951 led a strike at her high school to demand the same benefits white kids were receiving. Was Lee really the racist and traitor of his hater's depiction, deserving of the gallows rather than being honored for how he sought to sever the Union? Perhaps the last word should go to a president who still revered Lee as late as 1960, Dwight Eisenhower. Quote, General Robert E. Lee was one of the supremely gifted men produced by our nation. He believed unswervingly in the constitutional validity of his cause, which until 1865 was still an arguable question in America. He was a poised and inspiring leader, true to the high trust reposed in him by millions of his fellow citizens. He was thoughtful yet demanding of his officers and men, forbearing with captured enemies, but ingenious, unrelenting, and personally courageous in battle, and never disheartened by a reverse or obstacle. Through all his many trials, he remained selfless almost to a fault and unfailing in his faith in God. 
Taken altogether, he was as noble a leader and as a ma- noble as a leader and as a man and unsullied as I read from the pages of our history. Eisenhower said, from deep conviction, I say this, a nation of men of Lee's caliber would be unconquerable in spirit and soul. Indeed, to the degree that present-day American youth will strive to emulate his rare qualities, including his devotion to this land, as revealed in his painstaking efforts to help heal the nation's wounds once the bitter struggle was over, we in our own time of danger in a divided world will be strengthened and our love of freedom sustained. He says, these are the reasons I proudly display the picture of this great American on my office wall. You notice he didn't have those ideological blinders on so tightly. Maybe there's an example for us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, another milepost on our journey to Wokesville. The New England Journal of Medicine is now advocating for doing away with the designation of male or female birth certificates, or at least that designation of sex. I'm going to share this article with you. I believe this is from uh, Russia Today. It's from RT. Is that, that's what it stands for, right? Anyway. America's oldest medical journal now says birth certificate sex designations are harmful for trans and must be abolished. The article here says, an article published in the New England Journal of Medicine argues that having birth certificates display gender could harm intersex and transgender people, leading to concerns that the New England Journal of Medicine could have been pranked or hacked. Sex designations on birth certificates offer no clinical utility and they can be harmful for intersex and transgender people, says the abstract of the article authored by Drs. Vadim M. Steiler and Eli Y. Adashi and lawyer Jessica A. Clark and tweeted out by the New England Journal of Medicine yesterday. And the, the, the bottom line is they say, we believe now is the time to update the practice of designating sex on birth certificates. Moving such designations below the line of demarcation, they say, would not compromise the birth certificate's public health function, but could avoid harm. Now, while the rest of the article is behind the the, uh, New England Journal of Medicine's paywall, that tweet quickly got ratioed by an incredulous public, wondering if the journal had been hacked or if the journal was a prank by Tatiana McGrath a famous woke online persona invented by a British comedian. By the way, if you have not read Tatiana McGrath, it's some of the best satire available today. The article says, Styler and Adashi are affiliated with Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, while Clark lists her affiliation as Vanderbilt University Law School in Nashville, Tennessee. Dating back to 1812 and operating under its current name since 1928, the New England Journal of Medicine is the oldest continuously published medical journal in the world. It's also considered one of the most prestigious peer-reviewed publications in the U.S. But as the article points out, that hasn't prevented it from wading deep into controversial political waters. Back in October, the journal issued a veiled political endorsement of the Democrats in the upcoming U.S. election, echoing Joe Biden's talking points about the COVID-19 pandemic, without naming any names. 
And at the end of September, the New England Journal of Medicine published a study advocating for mandatory vaccinations against COVID-19 under penalty of job loss or home confinement, but stopping short of criminal charges as they would disadvantage the poor and minorities. There's a link to the article here. I'll I'll let you uh, check it out. You can draw your own conclusions, but if if there is a warning to be had, I think it's that uh, when you politicize medicine, you set the stage for medical tyranny. Now I look, I my dad was a pharmacist. My mom worked as a dental assistant and then a dental secretary for many years. My daughter right now is studying to become a nurse. If you think, well, Brian, you just got an axe to grind against medicine, man. You're probably one of those natural healers. And look, I, I find that uh, there is validity in a lot of different approaches. Allopathic medicine has its place, as does naturopathic medicine and osteopathic. I, I'm not going to suggest there's a one-size-fits-all approach. I do think, though, that we are reaching a time where greater medical self-sufficiency might be a game-changer, only because... Government has become so intertwined with medicine that uh, I think we are knocking on the door of medical tyranny. I mean, for crying out loud, New England Journal of Medicine, seriously? They're, they're advocating for, well, you know, we should make sure that people get vaccinated under the threat of you cannot work and you cannot leave your home. But other than that, you are free to live your life as you want. Well, gee, thanks for being so generous and, you know, uh, you know, making sure that we have that uh, self-determination to make these kind of decisions for ourselves. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I actually have a really good friend who has uh, been in administration of uh, nursing homes and long-term care facilities and assisted living facilities uh, for about as long as I've known him. He's a respiratory therapist by training. He is at a crossroads right now. He is at a point where he is likely, well, no, actually, I know for a fact, he's leaving his job. He's, he is quitting his job because he is being placed in a position where he must be a part of what he sees as medical tyranny. And he's kept me apprised on this and said, dude, it's coming. No, I know it's, it's easy if you're not him, if you're not the one who's worrying about, well, how am I going to support my family? What do I do when I walk away from my livelihood? But I'm telling you, this is not so different a situation from what people faced back in the day when, uh, you know, we need guards for the camps here. Who'd be a guard? Some people were dragooned into it and forced into it. There was a time, though, when you had a choice of whether or not to go along. What about those people who, for whatever reason, conscience, common sense said, I can't do that. I think that's one of the big tests that that any of us face right now. Knowing where that line in the sand is. And, And I'm not trying to be derogatory when I point this out, but for a lot of people, they haven't even considered that such a line could even exist, much less where their own line is. If you wait until the moment of decision is forced upon you, it's a pretty safe bet you're probably going to go along with whatever you're being told to do simply because it's the least painful way to go. You've got to make the decision of pass or play well ahead of time. 
And the only people who are going to be capable of doing that are people who actually know who they are, who know what they stand for, and know at this point, I would be willing to walk away from not just my job, but walk away from my reputation, walk away from my association with friends and with, you know, uh, my status in society. That's a pretty tall order. And I'm, I'm, I don't know where that line is for you. I'm not sure I know exactly where it is in my life, but I can tell you this. I have given it serious thought. And with the exception of my family, I've decided there are things I would absolutely be willing to give up based on principle, simply because my conscience says I cannot, in good faith, go along with what everybody else is doing. And I hope you understand, I don't do that out of the sense of because I'm better than everybody else. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just a guy who's trying to, to do my best to, to be true to what I believe is right. And, uh, you know, it's not always easy. But when it comes to medicine, when it comes to that, that's the, that is seriously the most personal interaction you are likely to have with with any you know institution in society doesn't it seem like a bad idea to get government involved in that doesn't it seem, i mean to more more than it already is what do you think has driven up the costs what do you think has limited choices what do you think has prevented people from pursuing uh, different uh, modalities and different uh, uh, different avenues to address diseases or or chronic conditions Get the state out of it. Take the coercion out of it. Let people make their choices. Let them own it with their responsibility. By the way, if you if you go to uh, the Brian Hyde Show Facebook page, I shared a video on there today that uh, you have to really watch it to, to get the, the full effect. But it's a group of healthcare workers in Tennessee all lining up on camera to get their vaccination, their COVID vaccinations. And it's a fairly long video. I think it's about 16 minutes long. I'm going to encourage you, go to that video, click on it, and skip ahead to about 13 minutes in. They have this nurse there talking about how excited she and her, her co-workers are to, to be receiving the COVID vaccine. And, and yes, you know, we think this is going to be very helpful. It's going to be a game changer. And then she kind of loses her train of thought, apologizes, says, I, I feel dizzy, turns around, takes a step, and collapses. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about a confidence builder. Well, she just got the shot, and look at this. She's, uh, huh. And, and probably the, the, the best part of the video is the awkwardness. I mean, she's got medical professionals all around her. She's fine, by the way. Um, I think she was back on her feet fairly shortly. But the cameraman... There's several of them there in this room. This is a press conference, after all. And first of all, of course, the story is, well, she fainted. She's on the floor. That's where the cameras go. And then after a minute or so, you could just see the cameraman kind of like, uh, uh, this, uh, th- this is awkward. And, and so he kind of pans around and he shows the other journalists in the room. And they're doing the same thing. That's like, nothing to see here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh, but... Yeah, as far as confidence builders go, uh, this was not a good one. We'll be back in just a moment. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. Hey, if I could ask a small favor as we proceed forward into the final segment of this hour, please share this broadcast or podcast with the the people you know who might benefit from it. I get it. It's not for everybody. Some people are going to think, what? Who is this blowhard? Who is this loudmouth? And that's okay. this, This message really isn't for everybody. But there are people who are looking for some alternative, something other than just comforting lies or confirmation of what they already know. I'm, uh, I'm here to offer something that hopefully gets you thinking, maybe provokes a little independent thought. There's no you know, implied agreement here. You must agree with me. You have to, you have to think like I do. But I do try to find stuff that uh, will definitely um, offer a little bit broader perspective on the world and, and, and more importantly, give you some incentive and some reinforcement in uh, knowing who you are, knowing what you stand for more so than what you are against. Because I think every one of us has influence that we need to be using. And, and, and the best way to do it is, is not be one of those people who, who defines themselves by their enemy or by what they want to tear down, but more, what do you stand for? Now, having said that, here's a topic I never dreamed I would be sharing with you, but here we are. The Fine Art of Bribery. This is courtesy of Daisy Luther, the organic prepper. I found this this morning on lourockwell.com, and yes, I will have a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Daisy says, you may have heard the saying, bribery will get you nowhere. And she says, I'm here to tell you that's simply not true. In fact, bribery, when done correctly, will get you just about everywhere you need to be. She says, I've spent as much time as possible traveling over the last few years. And basically everywhere I've gone, there is corruption. And yes, this includes the United States. Where there is corruption, there is generally an opportunity for bribery. Now she says, it sounds like a horrible thing to do. But one thing I've learned through research and personal experience is that there are situations that call for behaviors in which you wouldn't normally participate. Becoming comfortable with things outside your normal boundaries is important. Now, she does point out, say, you've got to be careful. The first thing you must know is that bribing a public official is not a good idea. In fact, it's a felony-level lousy idea. It's against the law in the United States of America to bribe cops, judges, politicians, and other public officials. So she says, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination recommending that you go and bribe somebody. There are lots of things that can go wrong, lots of them. She says, don't read this and dash off on a bribery spree. I encourage you to be a law-abiding citizen and avoid the need for bribes altogether. But theoretically, if the S were to HTF, and strictly for entertainment purposes, it's one of those things you can know but never plan to use. She says, knowing how and when to give a bribe can be a very useful skill. The world's not a perfect place and stuff happens. Discretion, though, is the key. You don't want to make it seem like you're adding fuel to your felonious fire. You never know if you're talking to one of the extremely honest fellows in a group of dishonest thugs when you're considering whether or not a bribe might make your day go a little smoother. You also never know if opening the door to you giving giving someone money will make them think, aha, she's got even more money than I can get from her. 
Pulling a large bill out of a stack of bills is just going to make the price of your bribe go up. It's not just a matter of saying, how much will it take for you to make desired action happen? you got to be more subtle than that. you got to read the room, so to speak. And if you do this incorrectly, you can get yourself in a tremendous amount of trouble. Again, don't go bribe people. She also says bribery may make you feel bad. Now she says, I've never bribed anyone in the U.S., but things can work a little differently in other countries. The first time I bribed somebody, I felt it a little dirty. I felt like I'd just committed a criminal act or something. Well, technically, I guess I did. But if it's an important enough matter, we're talking about life, death, freedom from incarceration, or not getting your water shut off because you never got the bill, you might just need to get past your conscience. Honest people want to do things honestly, and that's great. But not everyone you deal with in life is going to be honest or fair in their dealings with you. You might rebelliously think, screw that, I didn't do anything wrong, I'm not going to give this clown any money. And that response, she says, always makes me think of this story. Greg Elifritz wrote about the latter situation in his book, Choose Adventure. He was traveling in a taxi through a remote part of Africa, and an armed policeman, obviously agitated, stopped their vehicle. When Greg offered him some money, the guy let them pass, so instead of trying to wrestle a gun away from a foreign cop, he gave him the equivalent of 25 U.S. cents. Now, sure, that crazy cop was in the wrong, but would you rather pay a quarter or risk your life? She says that book, by the way, should be required reading, even for preppers who never intended to leave the U.S. But in many cases, a very nominal amount of money can get you out of a bad situation. And she says, I've offered a few bribes here and there while traveling, and once I got over my original cringy feeling, I didn't feel one bit bad about it. As Greg points out in his book, when traveling, add a little extra money to your budget for bribery and consider it part of travel, co- travel costs. Now, some people will make it easy for you to see they're open to bribery. One of the biggest questions in your mind when you do this is whether the person will be receptive to your offer or want to lock you up and throw away the key. Some people make it very easy. They'll hem and haw and say stuff like, well, it might be possible, but it will be very difficult, or I know how you feel. My car broke down recently and the repair is costly. Nobody likes surprise expenses. They don't usually come right out and ask you for it, but they'll make it evident that for the right price, the cogs in the machine might move. On the other hand, some will try to flat out extort you. This is common in third world countries where police will threaten to impound your vehicle and leave you on the side of the road because you're missing some kind of permit that doesn't even exist. It is infuriating, but she says your options are to either pay the bribe, let them impound your vehicle, or know someone you can call who will get you out of trouble. She says, I was in the car with my mechanic in Mexico when he got pulled over for not wearing his seatbelt. He calmly made a phone call, spoke in rapid-fire Spanish to the person on the other end, and handed the phone to the officer. Well, it turned out that her mechanic had gone to school with the chief of police, and they were still close friends, and they were on their way in minutes. She says, the extortion bribes are infuriating, and the situation determines her response. Am I in the middle of nowhere with a couple of hostile cops threatening me? Am I right downtown with people all around whose attention I could get if I made a scene? If I can do so safely, she says it's my general practice to refuse to pay extortion bribes because it rewards bad behavior. I generally ask for a lawyer or a judge. It's different depending on what country you're in, and the difficulty magically disappears. I make every effort to follow local laws to the letter to keep myself out of this situation, but it doesn't always matter. With people like this, there's still some fee or toll or permit that you evaded. So I'd rather not encourage tourists to mistreatment, but she says I'm going to choose the safest option if I'm put in this scenario. So here's how to offer a bribe. 
She says, when offering a bribe, the wording you use is extremely important. Suppose you found that one honest guy in a corrupt group. You want to be able to brush aside your offer is definitely not a bribe, of course. And if you're not having this conversation in your first language, you want to be even more careful lest you insult someone's mother instead of offering them money. She says, when offering a bribe, you want to be very careful to do it outside of the earshot of others. Find out who's involved in the situation and has the power to make it go your way, and then try to get him aside so you can find your moment. You don't want to say, what will it cost to make all this go away? Subtlety is of crucial importance. All of the suggestions that follow have some plausible deniability built into them. So here are a few ways to offer a bribe that doesn't really sound like a bribe, but the person you're bribing will know it's a bribe. You can say, can I pay the fine to you now? I'm afraid I only have cash. Or you've come all this way for no reason. Thank you for being so considerate. The least I can do is offer you some gas money. She said, I, offered, I said this to the guy about to cut off my water because I hadn't received the bill. Thus, I hadn't paid the bill. Is there a possibility I can take care of this ticket right now? I'm from out of town and I don't want to have to come back and pay it. Could I pay you to watch my car if I park it here? She says, I've done this when seeking parking in a busy town in Mexico in a parking lot for patrons only. Do you ever do any kind of consulting work to help people get their paperwork through a bit faster? A friend of hers paid a city inspector as a consultant to push through some paperwork on a building permit. I heard there was a fee I could pay to make X happen. I'm in business too. I'd much rather settle this problem right now than later when it will cost me more money. Is there anything we can do right now to fix this? Now, she says, I prefer it when they tell me the amount they want so I can counter it if necessary or gratefully pay if the price is reasonable. How much is the fine? What is your rate for this type of consultation? These are both good ways to get an idea of the amount they want. Some will shoot for the moon and you'll need to counter it. Others will shock you by, for how little they ask. But she says, treat it like a private quiet, and respectful business transaction, because in many ways that's precisely what it is. Bribery is a way of life. So there you have it. I don't know if that's information you're ever going to use. I hope it's stuff I don't ever have to use, but I feel like I'm somewhat better now for knowing this and knowing some of the uh, verbal judo (laughs) that could hopefully keep me out of trouble if I ever have to grease the right palms. Oh, wait. First, got to have some money. All right. Well, I better get to work then. Thanks again for joining us. Check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. And please tell my sponsors thank you and that you heard their message. This is The Brian Hyde Show.